Welcome to Rock and Ice's My Epic Podcast, presented by Outdoor Research. I'm Daniel Tachik. As you already know, Outdoor Research has been at the forefront of mountain equipment innovation since 1981. Their products have shown them to be committed to improving the climber and alpinist's experience with awesome gear, from jackets to gaiters to bivy sacks. It's not about summits for OR. It's not about finish lines or sends. It's the journey. So if you've got a journey in the near future, check them out. You will not regret it. We're psyched to be partnering with Outdoor Research for these podcasts. Our goal is to bring to life the most unbelievable epics we've published throughout the years. We all love them. They're some of the best stories in print. In today's episode, An Epic for Every Man, we hear the story of Jack Clinton crawling to the car after a broken ankle, and then later, his stormy epic with his wife in Colorado's Lumpy Ridge. All right. Without further ado, one beautiful October day, I was bouldering a perfect set of finger locks at the bottom of a route at Vitavu when I reached a flared hand, groped, and fell. I heard my ankle snap like the rap of a gavel, and I broke out in a nauseous sweat to look down and just see my foot completely detached from my ankle. It was like turned 90 degrees in towards my knee. So completely by myself, I crawled a half mile back to my car, which completely sucked, but I did it anyway. I had to. And then experienced a second crux in realizing that I couldn't drive my standard shift with a broken left ankle. So somehow, miraculously, I was able to get the car moving in second gear, but I ran this terrified young couple off the road after they completely ignored my frantic waving. So I got out and hopped and fell after them, and luckily they recognized my completely pathetic state and drove me to the hospital. Another time, uh, during a long, hungry winter in Jackson, I was with George Ostagai in Death Canyon, the Tetons, when I reached the last hard move on the last pitch of the first attempted ascent of Dread Falls. The pitch was capped with chandeliers, and my last two pieces had sunk into airy ice, but I was so close to the exit that I just took a chance and took the long step on those sloping ice. And then I was in space. The two pieces had failed, and I fell the entire 50 feet back to the belay. As I hung above George, a volley of baseball bat-sized icicles just rained down on me, pounded me, bloodying up my head and my shoulders. We rappelled into the sub-zero temperatures of the shade and skied back in silence, reaching my tiny truck only to find that the battery was dead. The event that really ended my stint as an ice climber, though, occurred on Funeral for a Friend in the Beartooths. Matt Schroh and I were climbing this icy slot on a cold November day when I clipped the last anchor, plopped down under a huge chalk stone, and just saw everything go black. And it took me a second to realize that I was under the roaring belly 
of a huge avalanche. It lasted long enough for me to wonder if it would ever end and how I could ever call Matt's wife to tell her. When it was over and his voice wafted up, I screamed with joy. He had been just far enough in a corner to be plastered white, but out of the way of the killing mass. So, hastily bailing, we were caught out by a second slide and dove against the rock wall, sure that all was lost. But turns out that avalanche was actually a lot smaller and just dusted us. I think epics are relative to each climber, as if on some sort of sliding scale, with a big E epic on one end and maybe a little E on the other. Just about every route I do is a little E epic, while other climbers might have a big E every few years, with the measuring gradient of course subject to the you know, specific climber and specific situation. Curiously, things that I should consider harrowing, I remember actually pretty objectively, and actually recount them as if they were sort of funny or absurd, while memories of other events that might seem minor actually make my palms sweat and my guts twist. More so than injury or sudden calamity, I, I think it's the slow burn, the long grind of the psychological epic that I consider most epic, being on pitch 11 when there are only supposed to be 9, and the climbing is a lot harder than it should be. Or in that storm where all you can do is keep moving confidently in what you hope is the right direction. Or on that lead that stays at your upper limit for the entire pitch. I can epic over a scary route description. This usually occurs the night before a long route in the anxious seclusion of my own head. I'm so good at epics that most people don't really know that I'm in the middle of one. Some of my partners still mistake terror for zeal when I'm actually just trying desperately to get the whole thing over with. My wife, though, is more perceptive, and she often says to me, you know, we really don't have to do this. I believe that most epics are totally commonplace. I mean, the most horrifying epic my wife and I ever had happened 20 minutes from the car, just a few months after parenthood. We were both still totally engaged in climbing, although Dana missed out on longer routes because she was the one lactating. But even so, we could still pull down a decent ascent now and then. We were living in Laramie when Dana's sister came to visit and offered to watch Emma while we went to Estes Park, Colorado, to spend the night and go cragging. I favored crashing illegally in the dirt, but Dana had a different opinion and she drove our Ford Escort up to the front door of the Stanley Hotel and gave me, you know, one of those looks and told me to keep my mouth shut. Over dinner, we looked through the guidebook and chose Romulan Territory, which was a nice, responsible 3-pitch 510, well within our limits. A route that would leave us with some time to attempt something shorter and harder. Even with breakfast in the dining room, we were away by 8.30, hiked to our route with smiles on our faces, and launched up it under blue June skies. I was familiar with Lumpy Ridge and well aware of its old-school caveats, but still I was probably light on the rack, and we only had one rope, because who would ever repel from a three-pitch route? The first pitch went quickly. On the second, I was reminded of how stiff the ratings could be and wishing I had more small stuff. I was stalling about two-thirds up it when Dana started shouting that a storm was coming, but I knew that was impossible because it was only mid-morning. Then I felt a chill as a cloud came over us, and seconds later I was basically ascending a waterfall. The rain and hail fell so hard that I could feel water in the air as I breathed. 
as if I could drown on vertical terrain. The gear, which had been hard enough on dry rock, was now hopeless. As I was too far out to lower, I could only continue. The first crash of thunder came a nanosecond after a blinding flash of lightning. The clap came with like a physical concussion that passed through my entire being. Endless salvos followed. I reached the blaze soaked to the skin, and water was running into my shoes. I rigged the best anchor I could manage with white, waxy fingers, stretching the rope to clip it. But there was no retreat down the pitch, and communication was impossible. So I gave the two long tugs that meant climb. Dana's a fast climber, and even more impressive when yarding on gear. I have no idea how she did a full pitch of waterfalls so quickly, but she was on the inadequate ledge in a blink. The obnoxious percussion of lightning and thunder around us interrupted our argument about either waiting it out or repelling. Though shoulder to shoulder, we had to shout to hear each other. More than once, we squinted in the blinding flashes. We were amazed not to have been struck, and astounded to still be alive. Finally, I said we were waiting it out, that to repel and rig a hanging wrap anchor on such poor gear was basically impossible. Dana looked deep into my eyes, and I, I kind of knew that I was what stood between a formidable female mammal and the path to her offspring. You have to lead us out of here, she told me. She was not yet leading again since giving birth. I had secretly known that I would have to lead this pitch. The climbing above rippled with water and ended in a traversing layback that I had to protect well for Dana. I looked around for a hole to crawl into, but there was nothing, so... I led off into the exact scenario I spend so much time fretting over. I choked down my fear and climbed my best, pulling on flared, crappy placements when I could. Reaching the section just under the roof, I found the layback damp, but at least the rain and hail couldn't pound on me quite so hard. I clawed and rattled my way across as only a truly desperate climber can, using every piece of gear protecting the second. At the end of the pitch, with no pro left, all I could do was slide down into a slot, brace my back and feet, and tug twice on the rope. The storm never let up, neither as Dana climbed nor as we descended. We rappelled and down-climbed rivers of slushy runoff and hail. I left gear gratefully, happy for anything that got us 100 feet farther down the gullies. By the time we reached the bottom, we were just beyond words and didn't even pack our gear away. Just found our shoes and splashed back to the car, almost completely oblivious to the stinging hail and lightning still flashing and crashing around us. At home, Dana cried when she picked up our daughter. She has always been strong, and so I was shocked the following morning when she went to the hospital because she had broken out into shingles in the middle of the night from all the stress. And although it was a minor route... Romulan territory became a major fork in the road for us. It wasn't the end of climbing, but it was the end of the old days of casually climbing one route and then looking for something better. It was the end of the innocent recklessness of accepting our epics as simply our own. We're glad you made it out alive, Jack. And don't forget your rain jacket. Thanks to Noisy Waters for the music. To find out what Jack is up to these days, check out our recent Q&A with him on rockandice.com. Thanks for listening, and again, thanks for Outdoor Research for helping us bring these stories to life. 
Be sure to check out the next in our series, as Ed Wright experiences a heart-stopper epic in the Potrero.